We'll be in uh, Genesis 21, Genesis 21, continuing to look uh, at, the, at the story of Abraham. And of course, now we're uh, looking at Isaac as well. Um, last week, we, uh, we saw the promise, well, two weeks ago, we saw the promised son was born. We've been following Abraham, following Abraham's all these steps, all this waiting, and then the promised son was born. We looked there in verses 1 through 7. Uh, Isaac was born. Now we come to verse number 8, and I, I'm telling you, when you look at these Bible characters and you look at them closely, you find out that their lives were a lot like ours. There was a lot of similarities because last, last lesson we're celebrating the birth of the newborn son. Now in this lesson there's trouble in paradise. We have ran into problems again. And boy, I'm telling you, Job said it right when he said, man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. I mean, that's just what it seems to be the case. And so we come here though and we see... Isaac versus Ishmael. We see here in these verses that right away uh, there is contempt, there is contention, and there is division in the home of Abraham and Sarah. So we're going to look at verse number 8 down through verse number 21, uh, and then we'll get into the lesson. The Bible says here, And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. Wherefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. And God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad and because of thy bondwoman. In all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her voice, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And also of the son of the bondwoman will I make a nation, because he is thy seed. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and took bread and a bottle of water and gave it unto Hagar, putting it on her shoulder and the, and the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water was spent in the bottle, and she cast the child under one of the shrubs. And she went and set her down over against him a good way off, as if it were a bowshot. For she said, Let me not see the death of the child. And she sat over against him and lift up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad, and the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said unto her, What aileth thee, Hagar? Fear not, for God hath heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him in thine hand, for I will make him a great nation. And God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the bottle with water and gave the lad drink. And God was with the lad, and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. And he dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took him a wife out of the land of Egypt. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll get into the lesson. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness. and Lord, we thank you, Lord, how you do take care of us. Lord, as we sang when we started, Father, we thank you that you are wonderful. And Father, Lord, we have experienced your goodness. And Father, we thank you for, and Lord, as we began the service, and Lord, we shared the praises and we shared the requests. Lord, there's no question that we are a people who are in need of you, Father. We are in need of your intervention and we're in need of your help. Uh, Lord, both in physical matters and spiritual matters, Father, we need you. 
And Father, I thank you that we're able to come to you in prayer. And Father, I thank you that you give us this privilege. You give us this opportunity, Lord, that we can come before you. I pray, dear Lord, now as we look at this lesson concerning Abraham, uh, Father, Lord, that you will use it to instruct us, to educate us, uh, Lord, to help us become more familiar with your word and your people. Uh, Father, Lord, and that you'll help us to make application to our life that, Father, Lord, we might learn... how it is that we ought to live, oh Lord, that we might be more like you, Father, I pray. Thank you for your goodness. Bless throughout this lesson, and Lord, we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Here in this account, we see both the physical record of what took place uh, between Abraham and Sarah and Hagar and Ishmael. Because of the contention, because of Ishmael, Mark, and Isaac, we see what took place. But there's also a tremendous spiritual application that's to be made in this passage of Scripture. So tonight we're going to move through the physical account. We're going to move through it hopefully briefly. And then we're going to focus on the spiritual application of this passage. So as we begin, the first thing we notice is the domestic dispute, the domestic dispute. And let me just say, anytime you got a a family uh, with the dynamic that Abraham has created, uh, there is room for domestic dispute. When you do everything God's way, and the husband marries the wife, and they have the children, and everyone is the unit as God ordained, there's still probability that there's going to be conflict, there's going to be contention, but when you step outside of God's realm, and you begin adding more multiple mates and different things like this, you add things that cause contention in the home. And we see that Abraham had a home that was set up for dispute. Just imagine. Everybody knows that Abraham is looking for a promised seed. Everyone knows that Ishmael is Abraham's son. Ishmael uh, at this point in this passage of scripture that we're reading is about anywhere from 15 to 17 years old. We know that Isaac was born when Ishmael was 14. This passage of scripture is when Isaac was weaned. Uh, Many times uh, very customary for ladies to nurse their children to two or three years old. Um, there, so we see that Ishmael was anywhere from 15 to 17 years old here in this chapter. And although God has reminded over and over and over that Ishmael is not the promised seed, Ishmael, 17 years old, and uh, or at 14 years old, he's not seen any other heirs, and so it would be natural for him to start getting this idea. Hey, if nobody else shows up. I'm going to be the one. I'm going to inherit these blessings. And uh, you could see how this would formulate in his mind. And then along comes Isaac. Now there's a problem. Ishmael is not going to be the promised heir. So we see that a domestic dispute begins. We see, first of all, Isaac's celebration. In verse number 8 it says, And the child grew, speaking of Isaac, and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. It's very interesting if you're studying the Word of God to study the customs and traditions of the time periods of these people. And it was very customary uh, whenever a child was weaned to have a feast. 
And at this feast, they would set the child at the table with all the fixings that everybody else was getting. They'd just load his plate up, kind of like we do on first birthdays now when you set that birthday cake in front of the kid and just watch to see how big of a mess he can make. It was kind of the same idea. They would set this plate of adult food in front of the child. Hey, this is a celebration. This is a day you can eat whatever we're eating. And so they would have these. And so Isaac was weaned. And so they're having this celebration. Abraham made a great feast that same day uh, that Isaac was weaned, celebrating the fact that the promised heir has grown, he's developed, he's healthy. It looks like he's going to be everything that God promised him to be. But there's a problem. Ishmael has no use for Isaac. In Ishmael's mind, Isaac just stole everything he was waiting on. This, This little brat just took everything he wanted. Ishmael had no use for little Isaac. And we see in verse number 9, Ishmael's contempt. Ishmael's contempt. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. We see here that he was mocking, he was making fun of, he was criticizing the New Testament uh, even and gives an even more uh, connotation of that he was hurting the child, that he was uh, being mean to the child. And so we see here that Sarah saw uh, Ishmael mistreating uh, Isaac, and she saw this, and that she saw that Ishmael was contemptuous toward Isaac. And of course, uh, being a mother, and Ishmael was not her son, uh, he would have been a part of the family. Of course, he grew up around her, but he was not her son. Here is Isaac, the smaller one, who is her son, who is being mistreated. And, of course, she automatically wants to defend her son. She wants to protect her son uh, just from a maternal uh, aspect, but she also wants to protect her son because he's the promised heir. We can't have Ishmael mistreating him. And so because of this, we see in verse number 10, Sarah's demand. Sarah's demand. Wherefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. Sarah said, get them out of here, get them gone. Now we remember that uh, uh, 15, 17 years prior, they had thrown Hagar out because Hagar, uh, when she realized she had conceived, had kind of looked down her nose at Sarah and kind of looked down at Sarah and Sarah had thrown her out, but God had sent Hagar back. Ishmael had been born. Ishmael had been raised in the home. But now Isaac's here. Ishmael's mistreating Isaac and Sarah once again says, get them out of my house. This boy is not going to be heir with my son. Get them out. And of course, Abraham has grown to love Ishmael. This was his son. He's grown up together. I'm sure he's invested in Ishmael. He's taught Ishmael many things concerning life, concerning uh, taking care of livestock, and many different things. I'm sure, I'm sure Abraham's invested in him spiritually and taught him of God and the things of God. This is his son, 16, 17-year-old boy. And Sarah says, get him out. And in verse number 11, we see Abraham's distress. It says, and the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. Abraham is distressed. He is grieved. He doesn't want to throw out his son. It's the last thing he wants to do. However, we see in verse number 14, Hagar's departure. Abraham concedes, uh, and as we'll see in a little bit, 
some more reason why he conceded, but Abraham conceded. He rose up early in the morning and took bread and a bottle of water and gave it unto Hagar, uh, putting it on her shoulder and the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. Hagar is sent away. Abraham concedes. Hagar and Ishmael, he gives them some water. He gives them some bread. And he says, go, get on out of here. And he sends them and off they go into the wilderness. Now a few things that will show you about Hagar's departure. We see the provision that Abraham gave them. It says that he gave them bread and a bottle of water putting it on her shoulder. Now, uh, understanding again the customs of the times, this would have most likely been a a bottle made out of animal skin, probably a kid skin or a goat skin. The fact that she carried it on her shoulders, she would have draped it around her shoulders. So this wasn't just like a, a small bottle of water or a canteen of water. This was probably at least a couple gallons of water that Abraham gave her. It's probably as much as she could comfortably carry. He said, here, take this water. Here, take this bread. But there was no way that she on her person could carry enough to sustain them indefinitely. And so we see that she did have provision, but it was limited provision. Then we see the place that she went. It says that she departed and wandered in the wilderness. She really had no place to go. She had no destination. She had no dwelling place. And so she goes and she wanders. And of course, when you're wandering in the wilderness uh, with limited provision, it doesn't take long before you're on out. And in verse number 15 we see the problem. And the water was spent in the bottle. And she cast the child under one of the shrubs. And so they drank all the water that they had. Maybe they rationed it out. Maybe they drank it quickly, not being prepared for this type of situation. But whatever the case, after some time they ran out of water. And a person can only go so long without water. And thirst began to set in. And it appeared that They were going to die in the wilderness. Now, when Hagar was cast out, when she was expecting Ishmael, God had promised Hagar that he was going to take care of Ishmael. But sometimes when we're in a place of distress, we forget the promises of God. Isn't that true? When we're in a place of distress, we forget what God said he was going to do. God had told Hagar, I'm going to take care of Ishmael. But here in this place of distress, she's been kicked out. She's in the wilderness. She has no place to go. She's drank all her water. This is the end. This is the end. And so we see in verse 16 and 17 the prayer. It says, And she went and set her down over against him a good way off, as if it were a bow shot. For she said, Let me not see the death of the child. And she set over against him and lift up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad. I find it very interesting that verse number 16 uh, gives us some detail concerning Hagar's response. Uh, Hagar put the lad under the bush. Hagar goes and sets a far way away from him. She doesn't want to see him die and she's just sitting there weeping. We do not see any indication that Hagar is praying. Hagar has given up. But Ishmael laying underneath that bush apparently called out to God for help. He was Abraham's son. He did know God. He he did know who God was. He knew uh, that his father was a follower of God and when all hope was lost, uh, we see that Ishmael calls out to God and God hears the voice 
of the lad. The Lord listened to what he said. Now we know from everything we've seen of Ishmael up to this point, everything we see of Ishmael going forward, his descendants and everything, Ishmael never had much use for God. But we see here that God had promised to take care of Ishmael. Ishmael's in a place of distress. Ishmael calls on God for help and God responds. Now let me just interject here that God is never required to hear the prayer of the wicked. There is no requirement for him to hear the prayer of the wicked. But God in his mercy can answer the prayer of the wicked. God in his mercy can help those who are in distress. Now, the Bible says that if I as a Christian regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So that's speaking of me as a Christian regarding iniquity, unconfessed sin, known sin in my life that I'm unwilling to get right and I try to go pray, the Lord's like, I'm not listening until we get this taken care of. In regards to the wicked, however, God's not required to listen to them anytime. God is such a God of mercy. And there are many, many times if you were to even think of your own life before you knew Christ, that you cried out to God in a time of distress and there's no question but that God heard you and responded. Why? Because He loves the people. He loves mankind and He sometimes will respond. And so God heard the voice of the lad. It says in uh, verse 17, And the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said unto her, What aileth thee, Hagar? Fear not, for God hath heard the voice of the lad where he is. Hagar, you give up. There was nothing else you could do, but God is taking over. God is taking this situation into his hand. We see here the promise in verse number 18. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him in thine hand, for I will make him a great nation. God promises Hagar once again that he will take care of of Ishmael. And then in verse 19 down through verse number 21, we see the prospering. We see God doing what he promised. And God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the bottle with water and gave the lad drink. And God was with the lad and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. And he dwelt in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took him a wife out of the land of Egypt. And so we see here, uh, Hagar had all but given up, but God said, I've promised I'm going to take care of him. And we see that God followed through on his promise. He provided what he needed immediately. He provided what he needed uh, temporarily. He provided what he needed for a full life. God took care of him. He did as he said he would do. Now, like I said, I was going to try to move through the physical story quickly so that we could get to the spiritual application. Here in this story that we've just looked at, there is what we call an allegorical application. An allegorical application. We notice in verse 12 and 13 of Genesis 21 that God supported Sarah's desire to cast out Hagar and Ishmael. 
In verse number 12, And God said unto Abraham, Let it, this speaking of Sarah's desire to cast them out, let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad and because of thy bondwoman. In all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her voice. For in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And also the son of the bondwoman will I make a nation because he is thy seed. Now at the time, I don't believe Sarah understood all that was taking place. I believe that Sarah was responding clearly out of maternal instinct protecting her son. But God was accomplishing something far bigger and he was using this situation to paint a picture that Paul would later use in the book of Galatians to drive home a powerful truth concerning salvation by faith versus works of righteousness. So look with me in Galatians chapter number 4. Galatians chapter number 4, and we'll begin reading in verse number 21. Galatians 4, begin reading in verse number 21. Here in verse 21 of Galatians 4, Paul says, Tell me, Ye that desire to be under the law, do ye not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. We see here, if you read the full context of Galatians chapter 4, Paul is debating with those who are arguing that the law plays a part in salvation, that there must be keeping the law. So Paul is going back to this, this thing that happened here in the book of Genesis to make an application to drive this point home and to make this so very clear. Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise, which things are an allegory. For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which is where the Ten Commandments were given, which gendereth to bondage, which is Agar, which is the same as Hagar. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, thou barren that bearest not, break forth and cry, thou that travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she which hath a husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him, that was born after the Spirit, so that's Ishmael persecuting Isaac, as he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the Spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what saith the Scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. So there's a lot to be covered in this passage. We definitely won't get into all the depths of this passage of what Paul is talking about. But I do want to show you the picture that God used, that what happened in Genesis, God used it to paint a picture that would drive a spiritual truth home for us. Now Paul says in verse number 24 that these things are an allegory. So an allegory is a figurative description of real 
facts. It's a figurative description of real facts. It's similar to a parable. We've been looking at parables on Sunday mornings and in parables Jesus would use an actual situation to represent a spiritual truth. Uh, it would be similar to that uh, but it's different in that uh, God is using what actually happened in Abraham and Sarah's life to represent a spiritual truth. It's a, it's a figurative description of real facts. Now, whenever you uh, look at uh, allegories, uh, the Bible has some allegories. This is one that Paul gave. We can look at what Paul gave. We can glean tremendous truth from it. However, there is a danger in us trying to look at all Scripture as if it were an allegory. Some people get involved in what is called allegorical teaching where they try to take every Old Testament Bible story and relate it to spiritual truth. And if you're not careful, you could come up with some really messed up doctrine doing that. So you need to be careful that, that any time we use allegories, we make sure that they are supported and backed up by Scripture such as this one is. So we see here that this is the Lord is using what happened in Abraham and Sarah's life to drive home this spiritual truth. Now if we look at this, in verse number 22 we see five individuals. There's five individuals that make up this story in Galatians 4.22. He says, For it is written that Abraham, there's one, had two sons. There's two more. That's three. The one by a bondmaid, that's four. And the other by a free woman, that is five. We have five individuals here. Abraham, Ishmael, Isaac, Hagar, and Sarah. Uh, we have these people. Now each of these represent a spiritual truth concerning salvation. First of all, we see Abraham who is a picture of the individual. Abraham is a picture of the individual. Here we can see uh, that he is representing all who come to Christ for salvation. Abraham would be representing those. Uh, Paul is using this illustration to teach the Jews salvation by grace uh, as opposed uh, to righteousness earned by keeping of the law. The Jews for centuries had kept the law This is, and they felt that they had earned righteousness by keeping the law. They had not earned righteousness in any way. Uh, they had simply uh, shed the blood of the innocent animals to cover their sin, but they hadn't earned righteousness, but they had thought that they were earning righteousness by keeping the law. And Paul's like, there is no salvation in keeping the law. There is only salvation by grace. And he uses this illustration. So we see Abraham a picture of the individual. We see Ishmael who illustrates or represents uh, the old nature. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That old nature, that way that we are born unconverted with a sin nature condemned to hell. Ishmael represents that old nature. Ishmael is the fruit of of the flesh. How do we say that? Ishmael was born through natural means. Ishmael, see God had promised a son. He said, have faith, I'll provide the son. I will, I will give the son, have faith in me. Isaac wasn't being born. Abraham said, I can produce a son. And so Abraham relied on his natural 
ability, his fleshly ability, his own strength to be able to produce a son. And he produced Ishmael in his own strength. Uh, uh, Ishmael was born through natural means. Hagar was uh, physically able to bear children. Sarah was not. Abraham was still physically able to father a child. At the time of Isaac's birth, uh, uh, he was as good as dead, the Bible says. And so we see here uh, that a son was needed and Ishmael was the result of attempting to provide a son outside of trusting in God. I can do this in my own strength. And in Paul's day, all the way until our day, there are still people who are trying to procure salvation in their own strength. I can do this. Abraham said, I can do this. I can do this through the strength of my my own flesh. I can provide the Son rather than having faith in God's ability to provide. Now, just as Ishmael was the fruit of the flesh, represented the fruit of the flesh, we see that Isaac represents the new creation in Christ Jesus. Uh, Isaac is illustrative of the fruit of faith. The Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith not of works, lest any man should boast. This is how salvation comes. Only by grace, God providing it, only by faith, us receiving it. Only way it comes. God had said, I promise you a son, Abraham. Abraham said, I can get a son on my own. He had Ishmael, but Ishmael was not the promised seed. Isaac was the promised seed. Isaac is representative of the new creation in Christ. Isaac was a child of faith. He was born to a man past the age of paternity and to a mother beyond the ability of childbearing. He was the son of faith. I'm going to pause right here. Don't lose. I just really want to share this with you. Just an interesting note. After Sarah passed away, Abraham remarried and had more children. But the Bible says that when Isaac was born, he was as good as dead. Now, this is just my hillbilly reason, and I can't give you a verse for this, okay? But as as I seen it, I'm like, man, this is good. When God enabled Abraham to have Isaac, physically the Bible says he was unable to father a child, but God restored Abraham's youthful ability to father children to such a degree that after Sarah died, he was able to father even more children. God restored his his vitality, his youth to him so that he was able to go on and bear children. And I just, as I looked at that, I'm like, man, that's good. And all this lesson, I've been trying to find a place to share that with y'all because I just thought it was good. So we slid it in right there. But uh, anyway, we see here that Isaac was a child of faith. He was born to a man who was as good as dead. He was born to a mother who was unable to bear children. Isaac's birth was undoubtedly There's no question, Isaac's birth was a work of grace. There's no other explanation. God in his grace provided the son. God in his grace said, I'm going to give them this son. There was no physical ability to produce this son. Only God could have miraculously intervened for this birth to take place. And because of that, 
Isaac represents salvation by grace. You see, we don't deserve it. We can't earn it. There's no way we can get it on our own. We are 100% physically incapable of obtaining this salvation in any way whatsoever on our own. The only way that we can receive salvation is by God in heaven in His grace offering it to us because there's no way we can get it on our own. We are completely 100% incapable. This is why God waited until Abraham and Sarah were past the ability to bear children so there would be no question that God provided it. And now Paul is making this application to salvation. He said, just as Isaac could have only been given by grace, salvation can only be given by grace. That's the only way it can work. We see here that salvation is completely independent of man's ability, but fully reliant on God's grace. Completely independent of my ability, but fully reliant on God's grace. We see here that Ishmael represented works. Isaac represents grace. These representations are confirmed in the mothers. Hagar, like Ishmael, represents works and the law. Hagar represents works and the law. The union between Hagar and Abraham was something they could do without needing God's intervention. Abraham and uh, Hagar could come together. They could bear a child. There was no, uh, this was a natural thing. There was no supernatural work needed. Hagar was physically able to bear children. Abraham was still physically able to father children. This didn't require a supernatural act. This was something they could do without needing a miracle. They could produce a son on their own. But anytime we produce anything on our own, it's a substitute and it's not the real thing. They did produce a son, but he was a substitute, and he would never, ever be able to take the place of the promised heir. In many ways, Ishmael appeared to be correct. He was a son. He was born to Abraham. Abraham had been promised a son, many ways, Ishmael looks correct. It looks like he fits the ticket. It looks like he fits the bill. But he was not the promised son. Therefore, he could never take the place of Isaac, who was God's plan for redemption. You know, there are many man-made variations of true salvation that appear to be correct. Many times you and I will question things that we have already answered because we will see someone who doesn't believe the way we do, but they appear to be so spiritual. They appear to know so much about the Word of God. They appear uh, to have power in prayer. And we look at them and they're like, we're like, wow. And in our minds, we may not voice it, we go over the tenets that we know and we double check because it looks so right. Ishmael looked right but he wasn't right. And anything that man comes up with on his own, doesn't matter how good it looks, will never ever take the place of salvation by grace through faith. 
that is the only one that will work. There's many who have attempted to secure eternity through their own ability. There's but really only two religions in the world. That is salvation by grace through faith and salvation through works. Now there's a lot of variations of the works division, but all other religions rely on man's ability in some way or other. And it doesn't matter how they devise it, if it's not simply trusting in God's grace, it will not work. We see this truth represented in Sarah. Sarah is a picture of faith and grace. We've looked at this all the way through as we followed Abraham's life. The only way that Sarah was ever going to bear a son was through a miraculous work of God. <laughs> it was not going to happen any other way. Therefore, Sarah had to realize that God's grace was necessary for her to have this son. And once she realized that God in His grace was bestowing upon her this son, she had to have faith enough to receive it. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews that Sarah, through faith, conceived. God in grace said, I'm going to give a lady who is unable to bear, I'm going to give her a son. In his grace, he offered it. Sarah believed God and through faith she was able to bear that son. I'm telling you what a beautiful picture of salvation when God in his grace said the only way that these human beings will escape the eternal punishment of hell is if I offer them a gift that there is absolutely no way they can obtain on their own and then once he offers it, all that is necessary for us to do is in faith believe that he has provided it and a miracle takes place and a sinner becomes a saint and we are glorified and on our way to heaven. I'm telling you what, there is a beautiful picture of salvation here in this story. We see here, when we look at this example, it clarifies the working of salvation in our own lives. We see that salvation is miraculous. This isn't in your notes, but you can write it on the side if you want. Salvation is miraculous. In other words, we can't obtain it on our own. Salvation is by grace. Unless God offers it, there's no other hope for it. It is through faith. Because of the miraculous nature of salvation, it's completely out of our ability. Therefore, we can only receive it through faith. Works and keeping of the law will never, ever contribute to the miraculous work of salvation. It can only be obtained by grace through faith. And now we come to God condoning Sarah's wishes and saying, yes, Abraham, let them go. It was the final part of this picture that Paul's teaching us in Galatians. What is that? Once we receive salvation, we must separate ourselves from the old efforts of the flesh. See, that's what these Jews were struggling with. They were trying to add works to grace. Yes, we're saved by grace, but there has to be something we can do. They were trying to add works to grace. 
But God said no. There cannot be works and grace. Cast out the bondwoman and her son. Cast out the works and the law. Cast out the fruit of the flesh. There's got to be a separation. You cannot have grace and works abiding in the same residence. It's got to be separated. In salvation, the new birth represented by Isaac requires the expulsion of the old works of the flesh that was represented by Ishmael. They cannot exist together. Salvation is only by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaac could only be born by grace through faith in God's ability. What, a, what an amazing picture. And boy, I tell you, there's a lot more in Galatians chapter 4, but that just gives you an overview of what Paul was driving home is that salvation is by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hopefully that is a blessing to you this evening. I know I definitely enjoyed preparing.